following program is from NET. poor black man feels like his enemy. What about intellectually? Don't you know when a man puts his learning in you, he puts his way in you. Intellect means to choose between. Anytime a man is intelligent, he has the ability to discriminate between what is good for him as opposed to that which is detrimental to himself. So when the white man puts his intellect in you, his mind in you. You can't choose what is good for you. Invariably, you always choose what is good for your master. Therefore, for 400 years in America, no matter what we have done, it has always been to his good and to our detriment. Right? Now, you've been to college. College hasn't changed your heart change your mind, change your emotions, change your intellect. It only fashioned it so it could be used better in his way. This is why whenever you try to start something, you start it on his base. And you wonder why it breaks up in argument, fighting, division all the time. Because you're using his mind. White folks control our minds. A lot of y'all gonna say, don't know white folks control my mind, really? Whole lot of us are still saying that black is beautiful, but we need white folks. Whole lot of y'all still say black is beautiful because we still trying to convince ourselves that it is beautiful. Because the man has told us that we ain't what's happening. We are still divided up in the house niggas and field niggas. We are still operating out of a Tarzan complex from our brothers on the continent. We claim to be Africans, yet many of us are scared to talk about Africa. We claim to be Africans, but yet we still think that, that Africa is a land inhabited by some long, tall cracker called Tarzan. What are the four basic principles of African philosophy? One. Mun, two. Two. Kin to. What does kin to mean? Thing. Forces without intelligence. The third principle is kind to. Meaning what? Place and time. It's nation time. Nation time.
since Africans came to America, they have survived in a society with a white god, white beauty standards, and a white educational pattern that teaches a European concept of excellence. During the Negro or pre-black period, there was little concern that blacks saw themselves through the eyes of whites, or a double consciousness, as Du Bois called it. The rebellion ushered in black consciousness. Who are we? How do we survive in a hostile society? Can I dare name myself, define my beauty, love myself? Values had to be defined, and an institution created to define those values. It was called Black Studies, and it's in serious trouble. To date, it has not been defined, nor have those values. The struggle for a new value system has brought as much pain in its own way as did slavery. Black Studies has been given the job of nation building. Black Studies is now probably about two years old. It was born out of confrontation with many institutions, many colleges, and different locations. One of the reasons we chose California to principally focus on our black studies investigation is that, one, California is a long way away from most people in the United States. And for one reason or the other, the black studies concept here has evolved probably along the lines to represent the differences in other parts of the country. One of the things that black studies has been described as is an antidote for what is called white nationalism, or what we today call education. That is, history is the history of Europe. We study a foreign language, which is a European language. The proponents of black studies have said that the only way that an African can exist in this society is that he, first of all, must have a sense of his culture, what he is. And then he should build alternative institutions so that that new African can have new institutions and new viabilities. Black studies as it presently exists is an inherent contradiction. What I'm suggesting is that as long as black studies, in terms of its organization, its structure, the content of the curriculum, the purposes and objectives, uh, the manner in which the educational process is constructed, uh, is generally similar to and in fact supports uh, the development or training of students who can fit into American society as, as it presently exists, then it has, probably has a very viable future. Uh, this doesn't mean there won't be any problems and hassles, but it will live. Uh, on the other hand, if the black curriculum begins to do the kinds of things I'd like to see it do, well, black studies, we define it at, in higher institutions, then um, what we'll have is a situation where the black curriculum is producing a group of black people who are who have the skills, if you will, to produce the kinds of institutions that will serve functionally the needs of black people, which in my opinion is inherently different from the kinds of institutions that are necessary to serve white people. So in this, in this sense, then, black studies becomes an inherent contradiction because if it does as, as it's doing, it will live, but if it does what I think it's supposed to do and, and other blacks think it's supposed to do, then it has no future. Yeah, well, here at Cal Poly, our Black Studies philosophy is, gets its essence out of the concept of nation building. Okay. Therefore, if one is to build a nation, one must be building a nation out of something. And so at Cal Poly, at the educational level where we have access to kind of uh, training programs in engineering, chemistry, land usage, uh, food usage, law, etc., those kind of things, we're trying to turn out black people who are, in effect, now bricks in that nation, because you can't have a nation if you can't have the personnel and the, and, and the skilled technicians to run it. Okay. That's our functional purpose of a black studies. Well, black studies 
in order to be meaningful must be a radical concept, must be a radical activity uh, springing from a radical concept. Uh, the black experience in America is largely radical. Uh, universities invariably are very, very cautious about uh, the presentation of uh, any uh, people for, uh, representing the radical side of the house, the radical experience. Well, the Black Studies Center, if it's going to be worth anything, has to uh, come along and compensate uh, for this lack of university aggressiveness. Come out here on this campus and you can go to the research library or any other library on campus, you know, and, and, and get books on Negroes and black people and Afro-Americans and, and Pan-Africanism and Africans. But uh, it's like a, a scholarly work that's off into some kind of ivory tower, you know. But in, to me, the program, in order for it to mean anything, really has to, at the same time, you know, be, be uh, uh, concretizing the ideas of, of, of what's happening in the, in the community. If it doesn't do that, then it, to me, it serves no viable purpose. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's right in line with what he's saying. You know, the community put us here, you know. Uh, and if all we do is just get here and philosophize and stay in little theoretical worlds, you know, and don't employ the black uh, studies that we can get, we ain't doing that. You know, we ain't dealing. There are many different things that we found in terms of how black studies is being applied. For an example, at uh, Pomona, they're using black studies basically as a confidence building phenomenon so that a student can start out and learn a simple task such as the brother Benson there who calls the uh, term gaudao, which means I love you my black brother, I love you my black sister. It is not a Swahili term. It is an abstract that Brother Benson and the students at Cal Poly feel is indigenous to them and their culture. We found at UCLA that the Afro-American Studies Institute there feels that a black student has to exist, first of all, in the present structure while he prepares himself for alternative structures. Therefore, black studies or Afro-American institutes should not just be limited to the campus, but they should have an alternative representative body in the black community. And during this interim period, the institutional technology should be plugged into the community. And that students just shouldn't relate themselves to academic pursuits, but they should also relate themselves to the community while gaining these academic pursuits and share them with the community. The Santa Barbara concept of black studies is one of radicalizing and activism. And that is that there should be a constant changing of things and that revolution should be defined in that manner and that there should be gaining new footholds while continually redefining what those footholds mean and how they can be applicable to make life in America more pleasurable for Africans. I once uh, uh, wrote an article on the problem of names, what we would call ourselves in, uh, in 1962 and uh, I thought it would spread as Afro-Americans. I didn't know that black would become uh, acceptable so fast, but uh, so we, we call ourselves a, a black, we call ourselves Afro-Americans, uh, Negro, uh, African-Americans, and eventually we will call ourselves Africans. As I talk to people more and more, I'm convinced that the thing that holds them back, the things that, 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 that seems to dwarf their creativity, the things that keep them from ever realizing the greatness or the potential for greatness that they have, uh, to me, more than anything else, had to do with a rather clouded mind from a rather clouded perspective. And I think, I don't think the, the perspectives can be clear until one has had a chance to examine the issues openly and squarely and effectively. Well, even at that, we can look at the, look from the beginning how systematically he uses a strategy to oppress us. 
even from the time that a black child is born, you know. If he's illegitimate, the kid is put in, he's categorized. He's the first, that's, he, he's the last one fed and the first one awakened. When, he's, when, the, when the, uh, the chick takes her baby home, wow, all the societized inter, inter, interjected values fall upon him, you know. He's illegitimate. Ooh, you're a nasty girl. You didn't have no business doing that. You didn't have no business running around. By the time the kid gets through his anal stage of growth, he's either systematically placed in a category where he can, he, he, the foundation's been laid for him to either be homosexual or his mind is so right. In the courses with psychology together, that to be an American, be you black or white, you are racist anyway. There's something about your very nature that you've been programmed to be a certain way and in order to liberate the minds, uh, uh, the black mind, so that it can function well for its people. We find that through courses, again, of the kind that we've uh, established in Psychology of Ghetto. I was 22 years old overseas before I even knew that I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to drink out of this fountain or that fountain. The little one had colored on, one had white on it. The guy started talking to me in a tent. I'm fighting in the army with a brown suit on, representing the United States of America. And the guy started asking, where was where you from? Where you from? I told him I was from North Carolina. He said, so you down the way you drink that colored water. I said, what? I became very indignant, really. But the point, real point is that um, I had been indoctrinated so well and so thoroughly by every institution I'd gone to, church, my father, my mother, my brothers, but, you know, everybody around but me. But we were being her age group or generation. I came from the other side of the tracks in regard to where she comes from, and I'm sure of that. We uh, have watched the so-called middle class, and I, and this is not personal, but you as a light-skinned black have maintained your position in the society because of the very uh, light skin that you have. And my mother, true, my mother did educate me, and she educated the younger sister, but she did it the same way every no. black woman has had to go out. She but scrubbed floors, she did everything. But the but chances, but the chances of you of getting this were far better than where I was. No, I was born in the South Philadelphia where we knew we weren't going to get anywhere at all. This was the opportunity that we saw, but we saw the light skins in our neighborhood go ahead. This is, uh, you go Point Breeze Avenue in that area in uh, downtown Philadelphia. Look at where we came from. And uh, so many of you stayed and did not give us, did not commit yourselves to bringing us up along with you. You know, uh, it's not your- Sure, my mother, she's, and uh, she's oh, six, six to some years old. Effective revolution. This has nothing to do with effective revolution because you light skin or, or you came from one side of the track. We're talking about your ability right. as a middle-aged person to effect your status into the revolutionary movement. And I think we have plenty to offer. Yeah, but the point is that during your time, you didn't, the effect that you gave was not a permanent effect. It was the kind of change that, 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 that could have been easily manipulated. We're talking about effecting permanent change. I think that music is, an, is a very important part of the black experience, period. And that students can feel me, or feel, I think, anyone, if they sincerely try to relate sincerely from beyond the rationalizations. For instance, it's very difficult for me to talk about this feeling. I am attempting to relate through the only real human quality, and that is to feel.
My African brother was written about three years ago for some, for some students who were trying to put on a, a program in Venice. And uh, the drums intrigued me, the rhythm, which was an African rhythm, I found out. So I wrote a melody around it. And uh, it's a tune that, to me, is attempting to say, I love you, my African brother, whether I understand you or don't understand you, whether we're together seemingly or not together, we are together, I love you. Once you categorize a, a, a thought, it loses its beauty because you can predict it because you've had it. And I think that we're constantly searching for our better selves, even though we might have done well yesterday or today. I think that students, black students especially, poor students, are, are searching for, for themselves, so to speak. And that's beyond the words. that black studies uh, is a discipline which, which grows out of experiences. Now, um, the fact that we have an academic unit called black studies is simply one more extension of that experience. It is not a different experience. It is an extension of an experience that, uh, that uh, black people have had uh, in the community. Uh, I think the great difficulty confronting black studies programs around the country today, uh, and certainly as I've been able to observe here in California, uh, is that um, uh, you get a lot of the old Negro history teacher types uh, coming in uh, to do the job that's, uh, that really requires an ideologue, really requires uh, the sort of brother or sister uh, whose head is in the right place with regard to uh, uh, pointing ideological direction. Uh, uh, these, uh, uh, this type of teacher feels that uh, uh, he has the job of teaching black people about Crispus Attucks and uh, Booker T. Washington and even to some extent Malcolm X. But where he probably fails uh, is in uh, not showing the relevance of Malcolm X uh, not showing the relevance of, uh, of the uh, historical figures, black figures of the past, uh, to uh, the living situation. And essentially what I'm suggesting is that Europeans have defined the universe as a physical universe, man a physical being in that universe, who has uh, the option to capture live space as long as he doesn't affect anyone else's capturing of live space, property rights, okay? And this is the fundamental... Uh, uh, 
philosophical base from which Europeans come. African people, at least historically, came from a philosophical base in which we, they viewed the universe as a spiritual universe. Us as spiritual men, spiritual people in a spiritual universe. Uh, they viewed the universe as one and all, man to man, man to man to environment. And it was on the basis of that that you had such ideas as collectivity, unity, brotherhood, and all these other things that we talk about flowing. Uh, so it's, it's that definition of who we are as a people, not so much that I'm Afro-American or that uh, you can describe me as black because I wear a dashiki, but much more a more philosophical, fundamental, profound definition of who we are as a people. Two leading black critics, Peter Bailey and Clayton Riley, who were worlds apart on the film Sweetback, are soulfully in agreement on the stage play, Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death, at the Ambassador Theater in New York. Both the film and the play were written by Melvin Van Peebles, who has become, whether one agrees with him or not, a leading reference point in the search to define black art as a functional tool for black people. Writing in Jet Magazine, Brother Bailey, who didn't like the film Sweetback, says about the play Ain't, quote, I saw an interesting, effective, if somewhat uneven play, which shows how some blacks cope with their condition in a racist society. There is the pimp scavenger, decked out in all his finery, constantly degrading and brutalizing his whores, who themselves are fine and foxy looking, maybe too much so to evoke excessive sympathy. There is also the ragged and shrewd wino, the desperate junkie, the corrupt cop, the young militant, the fly block boy, the heavy as a tank lesbian, and the lighter than a feather, female impersonator, all interacting with each other with varying degrees of scorn, love, togetherness, passion, and violence. Brother Clayton Riley of the Amsterdam News and New York Times said in his review of Ain't, quote, at the start, a weary black man enters, his feet ruined and aching. His pain derives as much, he tells us, from living in America as from walking in it. If I walk slow, I'm laudering. Run, I'm escaping. Frown, I'm hostile. And grin, I'm a tom. It just don't make no sense the way these feet are hurting me. Suddenly, with the speaking of these lines, the audience is on the block, inner city bound. For some, it is a journey close to home. For others, it's traveling to foreign soil. And for a few, it is, in the most contemporary meaning of the term, a trip. Riley goes on to say in the New York Times, despite what any urban scholarship may tell you or whatever citations of disappointment have been recorded by many of this city's white drama critics, the actors' declarations are mostly expressions of love. And it's possible for you to believe this, unless you feel that love, affection, caring, are the exclusive province of the extravagantly beautiful, the rich, or the ex-wives of dead presidents. Those white critics who are offended by the show fail to mention that no call for whites to feel guilty is ever made in it. What I think, Riley continued, confounded many reviewers was that Van Peebles has written a show in which the players, all of them black, express themselves in deeply moved and moving terms to other black people. Some white critics seem to have the continuing and rather paranoid impression that any expression of love that does not mention whites specifically is in fact an expression of hatred toward them, which is, finally, a very sad comment on the state of their emotional health. Riley said about the cast, excellent, w would that I would mention them all. In the show's finale, Put a Curse on You, a piece directed to everyone in the audience, blacks included, everyone who sits by and watches the degradation extant in this country without becoming outraged and moved to action. 
It is a superb ending which indicts us all, no matter what the color of our skins. Put curse on you. May all your children end up junkies too. Your mammy tricked by the pound to buy that ounce. Your young daughters get rich old dudes in limousines too. Put a curse on you. Put a curse on you. Your warriors maimed on the run. Your sons lag for pennies all night long in the bus depot. Cause they ain't got no place to go. And lose too. Put a curse on you. Put a curse on you. Close to heaven, you go. Rum and coke and cocaine. And a giant pusher. Come cutting yourself with talcum too. Put my curse on you. Put my curse on you. Your young folks stomp each other's brains too. Cause all that meanness squeezed in them. Ain't got nothing else to do. Put a curse on you. Put a curse on you. Made a block. Gobble up your futures too. And them rats come slipping out your tracks. And sliding into your children's cribs too. Put my curse on you. Put my curse on you. Gonna fix it to your men folk. Can't see no beauty in your women folk too. So your men folk be boys to the man. And to your women folk too. I'm putting the curse on you. I'm putting the curse on you. Let them work your playground too. Let them give you up your babies too. Push and take the arm. Put them on the line too. Pimp gets behind. Teacher gets the mind. Put a curse on you. Put a curse on you. You go from one bag a day to two. From two to three. From three to four. And your head come up the stones on you. Put a curse on you. Put a curse on you. Men and man speak on your goose too. Police jump on your children's head too. And cackle at them moans too. And the mobster gets to work the carcass. And suck your bones too. Put a curse on you. 